This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked in Mind podcast. This is my first podcast with two guests, which is awesome. So it's going to be like probably the best podcast ever, I'm sure. But <laughs> I'm here with um, Carly Benson, and she is not only kind of alcohol-free herself, but she's also the founder of Miracles Are Brewing. She teaches yoga. She's a recovery coach, has just this phenomenal life. And then, of course, Kelly Fitzgerald, which... One of my first blogs I ever read was Kelly's blog, Sober Senorita, SoberSeniorita.com. And it's just this fun, inspiring, just uplifting approach of everything, you know, sobriety-wise and alcohol-free. So thank you guys so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for yeah. having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad <laughs> That's to be here. cool. I didn't realize you read one of Kelly's, that the post that, was it the one that went viral of the one year without alcohol one? Annie, um, is that the one you read? Or I, I don't know how I found. I read a ton of your stuff, like tons and yeah. tons of it. Um, it was all so good, but I don't know if it was the viral one. That's so I feel cool. like I was just kind of following your blog since like the very beginning. Probably. Yeah. <clears throat> so cool. Blog. It's very cool. Awesome. So what, yeah, what I'd love to do is just hear you guys' story. You know, where did it all start? What was your life like when you were still drinking? And just start us at the beginning. Cool. Kelly, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll paraphrase mine because I feel like I could go on and on. Um, okay, so I'm originally from the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, I grew up there, um, middle class family, uh, pretty normal childhood, although I did grow up with alcoholism in my home. Um, I was always looking for something um, from a very young age. I felt like I always wanted to be doing something, going somewhere. Uh, I had a lot of energy. I wanted to be around popular people in high school, and that eventually led me to partying and drugs and alcohol, um, which I started using in high school. And that when I went on, went on to college, I got involved in the binge drinking culture in college, and that's where uh, I started really going down um, to the addiction route, I believe. Um, I started drinking many days out of the week, binge drinking a lot, blacking out a lot, having negative consequences happening to me when I did drink. So um, not remembering what happened, waking up in strange men's beds, um, uh, <laughs> losing my purses, um, you know, hurting myself, falling down on ice quite a few times in the winter in Pennsylvania. Um, many of those things. And I always uh, justified my drinking. I thought it was just what people did. I thought everybody else was blacking out at the same time as I was. Like, who cares? It's not a big deal. Um, I never took an honest look at it because I just, you know, I thought I was blending with the culture. I thought I was a party girl. I thought what I was doing was fun. Um, and it was for a, a little bit, you know. And I met a lot of people and had a lot of friends. I felt very confident and popular. Um, and that was all due in large part to drinking and hosting parties and being at all the parties that were popular and really feeling good about myself in that way. And following college, um, I went off to live in Cancun, Mexico, which is a party town, of course, we all know. Um, and that started because I went on spring break a few times in college and I saw these people working um, in the spring break destinations where I went um, as staff. And I looked at them. I was like, wow, that looks like the best job ever, like really fun. <laughs> and, 
you, all you get to party and it looks awesome. So I happened to graduate um, after four and a half years and, and it was December. So I kind of had these few months of uh, the next following year to do something fun. And I didn't want to start a nine to five job yet. So I moved to Cancun. Um, and I worked for one of those companies doing uh, that work where we picked up kids at the airport, brought them to their spring break hotels, took them to party. So it was a very um, toxic environment in terms of drugs and alcohol. Um, and it was, you know, I was off to the races there, surrounded by other people doing the exact same things. Um, I started using other drugs I had not previously tried, like cocaine and ecstasy. Um and, you know, my addiction continued to progressively get worse and worse, as we know that it does. And I remained in Cancun for five years off and on. Um, and that is also where I met my now husband. And he was kind of the catalyst for me getting sober, which happened in 2013. He and I had been dating for about a year. And we had a very tumultuous relationship, which all of my romantic relationships were due in large part to alcohol and drugs. Um, and we fought a lot and he always said, you know, you drink too much or you get out of control. You don't know how to control your drinking, which he was not the first boyfriend I had that said that to me. Um, but I chose to always ignore that or play it off. Like it wasn't a big deal. I didn't want to look at that. Um, and for him, it was the same thing. I, was, I tried, I told him, don't tell me what to do. Like I'm a, I'm a grown woman. I can make my own decisions and I can control this thing. So I tried. I tried really the last six months of my drinking. I have to say, I tried really hard to moderate, um, to just limit myself to weekends and beer. And I tried everything, everything you can think of, no shots, no clear liquor, no this and that, no brown liquor, any weird combinations that we, we try, I tried. And I, I tried because I was really trying to show him that I could regulate my drinking and show myself in a way as well. Um, and so that um, culminated with me going on a trip to Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. I flew from Cancun to Punta Cana, met some of my friends from Philadelphia, my high school girlfriends. We went on a bachelorette party trip, and um, it was an all-inclusive resort. We knew there would be a lot of lots of drinking happening, and Fernando didn't want me to go. He knew like that's what the trip was for, and he knew that I wouldn't be able to control myself. And we had discussed it before I went. Um, you know, I was, I reassured him. I was like, everything's going to be fine. I got this under control. I'll be fine. I won't black out. I'm safe. Don't worry. Reassuring him over and over again. And of course I get to Punta Cana first day. I drank a little here and there and I was able to not black out. And, and the second day I blacked out just like always. Um, so, you know, he was angry. He, I woke up to text messages from him saying our relationship was over and he didn't want to deal with this anymore. And then I was, you know, crying the rest of the weekend and drinking still, kind of drinking away my misery and thinking about why I, once again, was ruining a relationship. And once again, I couldn't regulate my drinking or moderate in any kind of safe way. So, and that was the last weekend I ever drank. So in the airport on the way back to Cancun from Punta Cana, I kind of had a breakdown in the airport and I was on the phone with my mom and I just said, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I don't understand why, why can't I drink normally why can't I just have a few drinks and not black out or not do anything crazy or not get out of myself and act like this person I don't even know who she is when I was drinking um 
And I just, I was so mad at myself. And my mom was like, well, you're, you're, nothing's wrong with you, Kel. You're an alcoholic. And like at the time, I obviously didn't want to hear that. Um, and, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just thought like I needed to try something that I had never tried before. Like I'd been trying to moderate. I've been trying to only drink once in a while and it never worked. I always ended up blacking out or doing something I regretted or hurting myself. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore until further notice. So I didn't put like forever stamp on there yet. Cause I had no idea if that was even possible or how I was going to do it. But I made a decision in the airport that day that, okay, no more, I'm, I'm done with this. And I was really mad at, at myself and I, I'm mad at alcohol and mad at drugs. And I, that, that kept me sober for a, a long time. And then eventually I wanted to be sober and and here I am today, and I haven't had a drink since then, and that was May 7, 2013. Oh, that's yeah. such a cool story. <laughs> it's so cool wow. on so many levels. Like, number one, like, just the the spontaneous nature, like, the spontaneous sobriety aspect, just, like, boom. Like, yeah. This is enough, yeah, is like enough. Yeah, you talk about in your book. Yeah, yeah. there you are. Like, this yeah. is, I'm done. That's exactly how it was. It really was. It's so cool. And I think that when that happens, you know, it sticks because it's, it's not just part of you. And I also love the until further notice because like that takes that, that deflates the, you know, the, <laughs> the alcohol diet aspect of I'm on a diet. So now ice cream looks really yummy to me. And, you know, so I'm, I'm not drinking like, like you're like, this is my decision today until further notice. And every day I'm going to make this decision. And if it's a different decision tomorrow, that's going to be okay. But like right now it's until like, just, it just diffuses yeah. that whole forbidden fruit syndrome. It's like done. Exactly. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah, exactly. I have to say, I didn't even feel like really claiming the word sober and like sobriety and like I'm in recovery until I hit a year because I was still like, can I do this? Is this for me? And, and now I obviously feel that way today. And I, I feel comfortable saying I want to be sober forever. Like that's what I choose for myself. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't sure at first. So I'm glad I stuck with it though. That's so cool. And then one part of your story I want to follow up at is like, so it, your husband was a huge influence, but so often, you know, people, I, I say like, you can't really do it for anybody else. So at the end of the day, like, was it for him? Was it for you? So it's funny. Cause my mom always says the same thing. She's like, sometimes I feel like you give him too much credit. Um, I think it occurred to me at that moment because of what, he, because he broke up with me at that time and because he was on me about it. Um, but I think I did it for myself for sure. I was tired. I was so tired. So sick and tired of my own bullshit. Number one, I was tired of feeling like I hated myself. Like there was something wrong with me. Um, like I couldn't figure it out and like so desperate, I hated that feeling. And I was tired of the cycles, tired of the merry-go-round, so tired. And, and so I think it, that occurred to me because he complained and, um, bro broke up with me, but I knew that I made that decision because I felt it, inside it was the right thing for me. Um, and I stuck with it for me as well. And I immediately a month into it started physically feeling better so, and that kept me going. And then the next month, you know, I felt even better and I was discovering all these new things. So then it became all about me and learning about myself. And, and one of the things I always say is like sobriety is self-love. And that's really what made it stick for me because I was able to develop a relationship with myself of 
being with myself, learning about myself, figuring out why, why I drank, why was I trying to escape reality for so long, you know, why? And that I'm okay today by myself. And of course I love my husband. He means everything to me, but I always think if something were to happen, like I'm okay by myself. I like myself enough today to, to be alone. And so that was going to be my next question, but um, you've already started to, but how have things, how have things really changed for you? How have things shifted for you in the last, you know, it's been, gosh, almost five years now. Yeah, almost five. Um, so my whole life has changed. I mean, I never knew taking that decision would completely change the entire course of my life. Um, for one, I got to marry him, um, which is amazing because we got to work on our relationship after that. And, you know, I, we, I was by myself for a week and then we decided that we wanted to work on things and um, we worked on ourselves and we had to get to know each other, how I, how our relationship was without me drinking. And, and he cut back on his own drinking a lot. I mean, it was something that we did together a lot. And, you know, he's a normie and he still drinks today every so often, but um, he knows how to say enough is enough. And he had, he, but he changed his habits a lot because of me. Um, and then our relationship just got a million times better. I, I, I mean, we just, we've gone through so many hard things, I think at the beginning that it completely, we have a good foundation to build our relationship on. And, um, I feel like there's no way I could have developed that with him and maintained it if I wasn't sober. Um, and then everything else that has happened, like starting my blog, um, and every single job I've had in sobriety is the result of my blog which is crazy to even say out loud. Um, every job that I have had, every career path that I'm, t- that I'm taking, including writing my book and becoming a recovery coach, are all a result of writing this blog, which I never knew would be like so popular or that people wanted to hear about this kind of stuff. So that's been awesome. So it, and, and it's funny because I started the blog at first just to like get my feelings off my chest and into the world and thinking no one was really going to read it and then realizing so many people relate, but at the same time, it, it gives me, it provides me with comfort um, and healing because I'm looking also to be understood. So it's a give and take and it's, that's been amazing and helping people has been turned into my main goal in life, which is also a direct result of sobriety. And I mean, it's given me every, every good thing in my life. I'm able to be an aunt to my nephews now who I love. My sister can depend on me to take care of them. I'm a, I'm a dependable daughter and friend, which I feel like I wasn't in the last years of my drinking. So it completely changed my life for sure. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. That's awesome. Well, what about you, Carly? So where, where did it all start for you? Oh, man. <laughs> well, Kelly and I, I think one of the reasons why we hit it off so much is because a lot of our story is the same. So I'll walk, well, not the same, but similar. There's lots of parallels. Um, so same thing. Um, I grew up in a pretty normal childhood. Parents are still married. Um we moved from Dallas, Texas to Naples, Florida when I was in ninth grade. And that coincided with when I started drinking and partying and using drugs, smoking weed, that kind of stuff, because it was a hard transition for me. Um, like my, and looking back in hindsight, I know I filed that away as a traumatic event. And so when I first moved to Florida, um, how, how old were you? I was, let's see, 15. Oh, yeah, so, that's, and that's really so. Hard. 
Yeah, it was very hard. I was so mad at my parents because in Dallas, I was in junior high. So ninth, it was seventh through ninth grade. So I was like the top dog at the school. And then when I moved from Flo- to Florida, it, they do it different there. So ninth grade is actually part of high school. So, and it was the middle of my ninth grade year, like January. So I went from like having all these friends and being like the top dog at school and in ninth grade and and Dallas to not knowing anybody and being like the lowest of the totem pole, you know, in high school. So it was really hard for me. And growing up, I was always like a really shy person, which is funny because it's changed quite a bit now, but I was very shy growing up. Like even going to restaurants, I would whisper to my dad, like, and have him order for me, like things like that. I slept with the light on longer than I'd like to admit things like that you know and so for me um looking back obviously it was such a really good it was a good move for our family it was a good move for me to sort of like step out of that shy girl but it also fueled uh my drinking I think because when I moved to Florida I met one of the football players I started dating him I started hanging out with him and all his friends and like that's what they did on the weekends is they drank, they smoked weed, they partied. And all of a sudden, um, when I would drink, I wasn't shy anymore. You know, I like kind of came to life and I got plugged in same thing like with Kelly. And now all of a sudden I was kind of like a cool girl. Um, even though I wasn't part of like the cool girl crowd, I was part of like the cool kid crowd with all the guys. And so, Um, that's how my drinking sort of started. It was really mostly out of curiosity and to fit in and like, yeah, it was fun at first. Um, and then right around that same time, let's see, I was about to turn 16. I got into a really bad car accident. I was driving on my learner's permit to, um, Georgia on spring break with my parents and my best friend. And I convinced my parents to let me drive, um, after dinner one night, which you're not supposed to drive at night when you're on your learner's permit. And, but we only had like three exits to go. So I get on the highway, I start driving the car. Um, I go to switch lanes and my mom thinks someone's in my blind spot. So she yells at me from the, you know, watch out. And I jerked the wheel back. And next thing I knew the car flipped five times on the highway, like boom, 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 boom. And it lands on, lands upside down, spinning like a top. Um, for about 500 yards, we nail into a guardrail and all of us walked away, you know, we had some injuries and whatnot, but for me, that was extremely traumatic and knowing what I know now, um, that only fueled the fire even more, you know, cause when you're 15, 16 years old, you don't know how to process something like that. Like I could have killed my parents and my best friend and myself. And so I remember coming back from that trip and like really ramping things up. Like then I started playing around with psychedelics, mushrooms, acid. So I did all this stuff, ecstasy, all that before I even left for college. Um, I was kind of was just like a rebel. And I, I didn't know at the time that I was subconsciously trying to process through these traumatic things. But now knowing what I know and doing, have having done a lot of the work that I had done, I know that those sort of triggered things for me. Um, so then I went off to college and, you know, kind of just stuck with drinking, binge drinking, like Kelly said too, and smoking a lot of weed that those were like my jams. I put away all the other stuff for a while here and there. I would dabble with ecstasy. Um, but really just drinking and smoking were my things. And, um, it wasn't until I was a senior in college that I tried cocaine for the first time. And, 
I tried a little bit, nothing really happened. Then I tried a little bit more. Then I kind of started to feel it. And I was hooked immediately because I was like, in my mind, it, there was, I had so much more confidence when I would do Coke and I could drink so much more. It was like this equalizer thing that I had found. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a gold mine. Like now I can party all night long. And, um, I always joke that like it introduced me into this like secret cocaine society where like you would go to an after party and you'd walk in and people would be there and you'd be like, what are you doing here? And they'd, they'd say, what are you doing here? You know? And it, so it made me feel like an even more cool girl where I would, you know, have these after parties at my house. And, um, I got pretty hooked on cocaine and, um, they, they just sort of fed each other. My drinking led to wanting to do cocaine. And then, and at first it was just fun. You know, I was, it was all in good fun. Um, and then it became problematic because every time I would drink, I had to do cocaine. And, um, so I went on like that for about five years where pretty much every time I drank, I did Coke. And I'm not talking about like a little bit, I'm talking a lot, like, the sun came up, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I tried, I tried the rules. I was just happy hour, just wine, just beer, but no matter what, it always resulted in me staying up all night, blowing lines with people. And, um, to the, to the fact or point where, um, like if you've ever done Coke, when you start to have your uh, come down from it, it's, uh, it's, it's very like, you get so much anxiety, you get depressed, you have this like whirlwind of bad thoughts about yourself. And, um, it's really hard, but when you're go coming down from cocaine, you know, that's what ha what's happening. So it's easy to process it. Well, what happened was that anxiety and depression started to bleed over into my normal life where I'd be sitting at my desk at work, not coming down and still having these thoughts and just started getting really bad anxiety, really bad panic attacks. And just like along the way, the seeds kind of kept getting planted that this was not normal. My drinking and cocaine use was not normal, you know, and I couldn't moderate, I couldn't regulate it. Um, and there was just these series of events that kind of happened that sort of kept shining the light on the fact that my partying was, uh, over the edge where I would have friends pull me to the side. I'm worried about you. You need to slow down. This is not normal. Um, even friends threatening me, like, if you don't stop, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. Cause you're just being super selfish. I would just leave people behind. And if you wanted to come great, if not too bad, I'm going to go do what I want. Um, and finally came down to, uh, August 17th, 2008, I said, okay, uh, I'm only going to happy hour tonight and I'm going home after two drinks. And those two, two, two drinks turned into 9am. I was blowing lines in the kitchen with somebody. I don't even remember his name to this day. And I just remember like I was smoking a cigarette on the balcony because I chain smoked too when I drank and did drugs. And I, I just, I was like, what are you doing? here you are again, you know, I'm just, you're just, what are you doing? And I drove home. I shouldn't have driven home. And I tried all the things. I tried to take a shower. I tried to drink vodka. I tried to smoke weed. I tried everything. And like, nothing was making this feeling of like, this has to stop, go away. And, um, that was the first time that I actually was like, all right, 
something has to change. You, this is a problem. You're not feeling good. Like this is, this is not okay. And I was, I remember I was hysterically crying. I think I was even having delirium trimmings that day because I was almost like hallucinating. Um, and I called a friend who was a couple months sober and he was, um, somebody that I used to party with and I'm calling crying. I'm like, how did you do it? I can't, I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm exhausted. And he calmed me down and we talked through it and he kind of told me I should start going to AA and I hung up the phone with him and I just remember it hitting me like, oh shit, this is for real. Like you're finally admitting that you have a problem. You're asking for help. Like it just hit me and I started crying again and I remember I dropped down to my knees and something just came over me. Like I wasn't a religious person. I didn't even go to church. Not that I didn't believe in God, but I just, I didn't know what that meant. I was way too busy partying for all of that. But in that moment I was desperate. So I got on my hands and knees. I just started praying and I just basically said like, I can't do this anymore. I've obviously tried to do it on my own. I need your help. And if you're real, you have to help me. And, um, I never drank or did cocaine from that day forward. It was that spontaneous uh, sobriety, like you mentioned, and you talk about in your book. And that was just it. It was like a before and an after. It was a then and a now moment for me. And um, I did go to AA that night. And uh, it was like a speaker meeting. And I kind of just, it was okay. It was comforting. But the girl sitting next to me in the middle of the meeting, I haven't really talked about this story that much. Um, all of a sudden a cell phone starts ringing in the middle of the meeting and the girl next to me, she starts pulling out cell phone after cell phone, after cell phone, after cell phone. She pulled out like five cell phones. I'm not lying. And I, in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, this girl is a call girl or something. And I filed that away. Like, okay, I'm not like these people. This is like, not, not for me, but I stood up and I got my white chip and she came up to me after the meeting. Cause everybody comes and hugs you. Um, and she goes, so are you court ordered to be here? And I'm like, no, you know, like I just, in my mind, I was like, that this is not for me. And so I, I kind of just started going to the gym a lot. I started going to church. Um, I just kind of became willing to do things differently. And, um, it was weird. I kind of like, didn't have as much of the desire to do it anymore. Like I was just done. I really was just done. And, uh, I ended up going to a girlfriend's birthday party like a month after I got sober. One of my best friends, I was like, I'm not going to not go because I'm not drinking. And they were all partying, blowing lines, like just getting hammered the whole weekend. And it was like a whole weekend thing. Like we went and stayed at a hotel and everything. And I remember watching from the sidelines. Normally I would have been like the ringleader of the pack. And like people were falling off the boat, they were fighting, there was this drama going on, they stayed up all night. And I just remember thinking like, okay, I can do this. Like, I'm not missing anything, look at them. Is that how I look? I remember thinking like, all right, I'm still over here with my Red Bull, I'm good. And once I got through that, it kind of just let me know that I could do this whole sober thing. And it was the same thing for me. At first I was kind of like, all right, let me just see if I can go 30 days. Let me see if I can go three months. And then it was six months and then nine months. And then by the time I got to a year, I was like, well, I'm not trading in my chip for this business. Like I'm not missing anything. My skin looks better. My bank account looks better. Um, I feel so much better. And that was it. Like at that moment, I kind of just knew this was going to be my lifestyle. And here I am. It's been not, not almost 
nine and a half years it will be on wow. next month. Wow. Crazy, almost a decade. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome. So, so you must have yeah. been really young. I was. I was. Let's see, I'm 36 now. And so I was, what, 27 or 28 when I got sober? What a yeah. cool thing, because then you have your entire life stretched out before you, right? Like, it's like everything is just, like, out on the other side, you know? Because yeah. I think every and person... I regrets. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. Every yeah. person I talk to, you know, it's always... There was this side, and and then there was this side, and everybody's like, yeah, I'm so... I'd so much rather be on this side, and it's it's so amazing, and often people's biggest regret is that it didn't, they didn't do it sooner. They didn't make a change sooner. They didn't look at this honestly sooner. They didn't, um, you know, do something sooner. And so how cool to be like 26. Like, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. It's crazy. I think because I started so early and I went so hard, like, you know, just for, for the, for those years, I, I really packed it in, let me tell you. And I don't regret any of it. You know, I had some really cool experiences and I got, I like, I always tell people like, I just, I got it out of my system. You know, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to, or need to do that anymore. And, um, it, yeah, it was just, just, it's like, I feel like now I have my whole life ahead of me and people meet me and they're like, what do you mean? You're only, you're 36. No way. They think I'm in my twenties. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. It's like, you can't yeah. buy better skincare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, how old were you, Kelly? Yeah, I was 27. Oh, exactly. So cool. Same. Yeah. Same. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah. people always say that they're like, Oh, I wish I got sober when I was your age. And I often think that that's why it's harder for even younger people, very young people, like under the age of 21 um, or 21 to stay sober because I think they feel like they are missing out because they are a little bit yeah. younger. So I feel like late 20s is like the perfect time because I too felt like I did enough. I never feel like I'm missing out. I did a lot of stuff, saw a lot of things, went a lot of places and I'm, I'm okay with it. But yeah. yeah. That's, That's so just cool. it. I think it's a big thing for people that like fear of missing out yeah, and it sure. keeps you, it keeps you drinking. But, um, yeah, like Kelly said, I think once you're like a little further along in your twenties or older, like you get to this point where you just sort of realize that you're not missing out, you know, yeah, and actually it, everything becomes the same. It's the same thing all the yeah. time, like that going, was... drinking, mm -hmm. going out, ending up with random people, staying awake till at 9am doing cooking. I would do the same thing. It was the same thing every time. It might've been different people, different country, but it was the same thing. Yeah. the same. I feelings. think that was one of the big things that stood out to me on when I realized I had a problem because it had switched over from like, this is so much fun into this is not fun. Like I'm not enjoying myself anymore. This is like a necessity now versus like, oh, this is happy-go-lucky fun. Let's go party into like, oh, I have to have this thing. I will go to any length to get my drugs. Um, and, and now I'm getting anxiety, you know? So when it switched that, when that fine line of it being fun to not being fun, that's when you kind of know like, all right, I need to reassess this. Right. And you get to, to a point really where you can separate the two, like, excuse me like when for I got married last year in Cancun and we went on a, a big uh boat we had a boat party the day after the wedding <clears throat> and then there was music and people everybody was drinking except me and I in, in the past in those situations I would have had to have alcohol to have fun but now that I'm 
so comfortable being a sober person and wanting that for myself that I can go on a boat where other people are drinking and other people might feel like they have to drink to have fun. But I realize I'm in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. I just got married. It's a beautiful day. I'm sober and like there could be nothing better than this. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. And that was, I think, what connected Kelly and I so much when we finally did meet in person, um, which I basically kind of like stalked her. Not not really, but uh, I followed her and then I saw her post a picture that she was in like Cape Coral, Florida. And that's only it was only when I was living in Naples, that was only like 30 minutes away from me. So I reached out to her and we got together and had sushi. And I think that was one of the biggest things for both of us was that when we got sober, we were we both love electronic music and dancing and we were both so um set on net not letting our relationship with alcohol affect our ability to be social or have fun and that was the whole reason why or one of the reasons why I started my blog miracles of brewing was to write about what I was learning um because at the time you know a decade ago there wasn't all this online stuff going on you know and my background is in marketing so I said okay I'm gonna put a blog up and I'm just gonna start writing about what I'm learning in my sobriety and share like my lifestyle here and show people that just because you're sober doesn't mean you're boring, you know, and, you know, one of the first blogs that I wrote that really was very popular was, um, something that I wrote about sober is the new cool and all the reasons why it's cool to be sober. And so we started talking and it was just very clear that both of us had found this love of like, being able to live above the influence, but still go to those parties and those things that like, maybe it might be hard for some people to do. But for us, it was kind of like, no, I'm enjoying this actually so much more now yeah. that I'm sober because I'm present and then I can appreciate these moments. And, um, it's like, you can almost kind of just get naturally high off vibing with other people now. So I also think um, a lot of sober people tend to stay in their sober bubbles, um, whether that's like the 12 step rooms and just going to meetings and just hanging out with people from the rooms and just going to like sober events. And like, it's very narrow. Um, And I knew that like, that didn't really fit me. Like I still wanted to be able to function in normal society, which we all know is inundated with alcohol. So there's gotta be some way for us to function as sober people and still be able to like live a fun life, attend events that may or may not have alcohol um, and not say no to everything because of that not to limit myself, not to be uh, locked away in like a, my basement for the rest of my life. I'm only right. coming out when, when events are sober or don't, or don't have alcohol. I didn't want to live a life like that. And I think Carly felt the same way. And I really respected that and liked that. And I was like, awesome. Like someone else who is like, yeah, we're still going to go to uh, concerts and festivals and like have fun and not drink. And people are going to be like, are they for real? Are they sober? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're just high on life. Yeah, it's great. Oh, that's so awesome. And wouldn't you say that, and maybe I'm projecting here, but I think the answer is true, but wouldn't you say that when, when that happens, when people see you really having fun and see you really enjoying themselves, like it takes down all the fear and all the barrier and all of a sudden people are like, okay, that looks interesting to me because it might yeah. be what it's about. I've literally ever seen yeah. somebody not be drunk and having an amazing time or not be doing drugs and having an amazing time. 
It happens all the time. I, I like I catch a lot of scrutiny, I feel like, because I do go to festivals and like sometimes I'm in like dark techno places with like DJs and I'm out and it's three in the morning and and like I get it. Some people think by association, oh well she must be up to something. But I'll tell you what, some of the best conversations I've had have been on those dance floors with people who are drinking and using and they ask me what I do for a living and then it just opens up this conversation. Not that I'm pushing it on people, but naturally, organically, the conversation opens up. And I've literally had people say, wow, I never even considered that I could come to something like this and not drink or use, you know, and then they'll follow my blog. Some of them have turned into coaching clients, you know, and it's like, yeah, like you got to be out there. You got to be in the trenches. You got to show people how it's done. (laughs) I I love what you said about being in the trenches. It's true because I mean, like if you're out there and you're a pillar of, you know, self-love, sobriety, just like living your most authentic life, other people are attracted to that or they want that or they want what you have or they want advice on how to live that kind of life. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and asked me the same things or I've been at bars here in Cape Coral with like my CrossFit friends and I'm not drinking and people are like, how are you having fun right now? Or like ask me all these questions and I love to answer those questions. I I mean, maybe some people get annoyed by that, but I love that. I'm like, yeah, it's possible. It's possible for anybody who wants it. Yeah. And the other parallel too here with Kelly and I is she got sober in Cancun and was living there and then moved back to Florida. And then I got sober in Florida and now I live in Vegas. And that's like, they're both such party places. So a lot of the times people are like, you're sober and you live in Vegas. What are you doing there? And I'm like, yeah, you'd be surprised. There's actually a pretty big wellness community here, number one. And number two, my whole thought is like some of the places that are the biggest party places and like the darkest, sinful places, that's where we need to be shining our light the brightest, you know? So I'm strong enough in my sobriety that like, I'm not afraid of that kind of stuff anymore. I know at first it's really scary to put yourself out there and put yourself in situations and I'm not advocating for people to go to the bar if, if that's giving them anxiety. But you know, there comes a point where you're just rooted in your sobriety and you're like, I got this. And now I just want to share it with other people. I want to help other people and show people that you, there's so many different paths to recovery and, um, you know, AA, not to knock it, it just wasn't part of my path, but like, you don't have to go that route. That's not the only way to do this thing. Yeah. That's so cool. I love what you said too. Just be willing to try things differently. Like, yes, just be willing to try things differently like such simple but profound wisdom it's absolutely yeah it's like you know what's not working so let's right. try something new here mm-hmm. and I think that was really what what helped me have it stick for my sobriety was just that openness and that willingness to be receptive to trying new things you don't and, have to define yourself it doesn't yeah. have to be forever you just need to be willing to let you know investigate yeah See what else is out there. You know, that's so cool. Well, I have one more question for each of you. But first, so Kelly, we can find you at SoberSignorita.com. And then Carly, we can find you at MiraclesAreBrewing.com, right? And then you guys have a joint group, um, Bloom. So where can people find that if they're interested? 
Yeah. Well, both of us have information about the Bloom Club on our websites, but then we also have a website called thebloomclub.com. And basically, Kelly and I, when we, when we met, we knew we were destined to work together. And this has like been the culmination of all of that. We wrote an ebook together and um, just gave it for free, kind of told our stories. And um, people res- responded to that so well that we knew we had to offer something next. We had people asking us, well, now what? We've read this book. We, we want to take the next step. What do we do? So that's kind of how the Bloom Club was born. And it's just our monthly recovery club. We do biweekly classes talking on all things um, recovery. And it's a private group, a secret group on Facebook where we facilitate everything. And it's kind of awesome. We love yeah. it. Yeah. So we wanted to give, um, you know, pe- we thought about what we would have wanted in, in our early sobriety, things that we didn't have. Carly for sure didn't have it. And then me, even five years later, I all I found when I was searching online was Sober Nation and The Fix and those kinds of websites, which are great and provide a lot of information, but still um, basically only talk about AA or treatment and these kinds of um, resources. So we wanted to offer something, you know, that doesn't have any stigma attached that people can just go if they're sober curious and join in a private way and find su- support from a community and see if sobriety is for them. And, and if they think it is to strengthen their sobriety and find a tribe along the way. And it's really something we thought we would join if we were had that in early sobriety. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, thanks for that. That's awesome. I'm sure people will hit that up. Um, so my last question is the person that you were, you know, go back in time and we'll do Kelly first, but go back in time to that person that you were that just felt like, um, you know, fear about not drinking or not, you know, doing drugs and not relying on all these crutches. And what would you tell her about what life is like now? (sighs) That's such a good question. I'm I glad know. you're going first. <laughs> you could probably write a whole blog about this. Oh God. I would just um, I would just tell her like you're not stuck like you think you are. Um, there is a life beyond this. Uh, there's so much more beyond this than you could even imagine. And it will be the jumping off point to like the best life you've ever had. Um, and to don't be afraid to try something new for sure. I love that. You're not stuck. What about you, Carly? Um, I would tell her to buckle up and get ready for the most epic life ever because sobriety has definitely offered that to me. And any adventure, cocaine adventure that I thought I was on, this side of the street is just so much better. And I always think there's this meme that's out there and it's like a picture of God and he's holding like a little teddy bear out to this little girl. And it's like she, she... um, or she has a little teddy bear and he's trying to take it from her, but behind his back, he has an even bigger teddy bear. And so it's like, the meme is basically like, she's not wanting to let go of this thing, but doesn't really understand that once she lets go of it, there's something even bigger on the other side. And that would, I would share that meme with that little girl and say, Hey, look, if you're willing to let go of this thing that you're holding on so tightly to, that's kind of wrecking your life. There's, such a bigger thing on the other side that you cannot even imagine. No, oh, that's so cool. That's such Beautiful. a good uh, <laughs> visual. I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing your stories. And it's just yeah. such an honor to meet you guys face to face and yes. chat. Yeah, Me so too. Glad. Thank you for having thank us. You. I'm super excited to dive into this hard copy of your book that I have. We, we read, um, 
your book and the Bloom Club, by the way, and everybody oh, loved it. Everybody yeah. loved it. Mm-hmm. The liminal thinking mm-hmm. is so huge for anyone. Like all those thoughts that you think, oh, well, I can't not drink because of this or that. Like, you know, so kudos mm-hmm. to you on that. Thank you yeah, for thank your you. gift to the world. Yeah, <laughs> thank for you sure. so much. That's awesome. Well, you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you. You okay, too. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.